Rodeo season is going to be kicking off soon, and you know I I like the rodeo. I like going to the rodeo. I like going to cattle auctions and all sorts of those activities. And I want to look the part while I'm there. I love Tecovis as my go-to boots company. And if you've ever been in one of their stores, it's an amazing experience. Their motto is "Don't go gently." They are my favorite cowboy boot. And they bring a fresh perspective to heritage boot making, and they carry forward all those time-honored traditions and quality you will find in a great pair of cowboy boots. But they're innovative on comfort, style, and service. They have western boots for men and women and are handmade from the most premium leather and follow over 200 time-honored individual steps in their boot-making process. Pretty cool. They're Austin-designed, Texas-tested, and handmade. And if you want to go to one of their stores, it is an amazing experience. They take customer service to a whole new level. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. And as a special opportunity just for you listeners, Tecovis is going to throw in their best-selling trucker hats or a ball cap for free into any purchase over $100 at tecovis.com. Just use the code ADVENTURE at checkout. Again, that's Tecovis, T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com, and use the code ADVENTURE at checkout to add a free hat to your order over Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Mason. Today's a new episode. And oh my gosh, 1,000 episodes. Holy cow, here we are. Episode 1,000. It has been a heck of a journey. If you don't know, I wasn't the original host. Kurt and Travis uh, were the ones that first started this show, built it up for the first, gosh, four years, three, four years, and then handed the show over to me right around episode 400. 420 something like that and you know they built the foundation they laid that groundwork they planted all those seeds and i got to basically reap the harvest all this uh five six years later so man it has been a heck of a journey i absolutely love it so thank you so much to all of you who have been listening for you know years and maybe you're new you've got a lot of back catalog to listen to so for for those of you that, that have been around a long time thank you so much and for those of you that support us on patreon thank you that that means the world to us i i've been getting a lot of uh, letters from folks lately about how much the show means to them that that kind of stuff keeps us going and, and keeps us uh wanting to continue to do this and bring the show to you so first and foremost thank you to everybody that has helped us get to this point without people listening i really wouldn't have an incentive to keep doing this. I, I love these conversations. And even if no one ever listened to it, I, I get a ton of value out of them. But it sure as heck helps. Uh, definitely helps justify it to my family that uh, that a lot of other people like it too. So thank you. Um, and this is a huge milestone, of course. And, and to celebrate this special day, I wanted to have something, someone on the podcast that has made a really significant impact in my life uh, from an adventure point of view, and that's Alistair Humphreys. If you remember, we had Alistair on back in 2019 to talk about his concept of micro-adventures. If you've ever heard that phrase, micro-adventures, or read the book, or, or anything like that, that, that is all from Alistair. That's his idea. He coined the phrase, wrote the book, literally, about it. He was selected as a National Geographic Adventurer of the Year uh, because of that concept of micro-adventures. Uh, however, he is someone that has a ton of 
huge adventure experience. He's most famously known for a four-year, 46,000-mile bike ride around the world. And now his adventures are all about being as small as possible, being, you know, hours long even, or just overnight. And his most recent project called Local was almost taking that to the extreme. He took a small, like five mile area around his home and stayed within that area for a year, only doing adventures within that area and breaking it up in a grid pattern and exploring one square at a time, just five, 10 minute drive from his home every week for an entire year or so. And by his admission, he was only able to explore, even over the course of the year, in an area that small, just about a quarter of that whole region. What was crazy is just the huge shift in perspective that he walked away from that experience with and how much more in love with his home and appreciative of where he is, where he, which he calls boring. And how much more there is to the world than a lot of times we realize. You know, we we talk about that a lot on the show. Adventure is not the Himalayas. Adventure is anywhere you want it to be. It's, It's more of a mindset than it is a place. We dive into that concept on this episode. And before I jump in, because I know this is an incredibly long intro, I do want to make an announcement. If you noticed, if you looked at your app and saw our logo, you might notice something different about it, uh, and that is the Outdoors.com logo. We are now part of the Outdoors.com podcasting network, Um, and what Outdoors.com is, it's a voice for all things outdoors. Uh, You'll find news, you'll find product reviews, you'll find guides uh, from local experts, hangouts, and tons of amazing stories uh, from adventurers about their adventures, and it's brought to us by Bear Grylls. So if you don't remember, last year I had Bear Grylls on the show twice, uh, and we had, you know, a lot of, it was was really great, and uh, I was asked to be part uh, to help launch this Outdoors.com podcasting network, and we are a part of this. If you go to Outdoors.com, you're going to see a lot of stuff. Uh, in the near future about Adventure Sports Podcast. We're going to share a lot of stories, and they're just going to help us get the word out about this show. So it's very exciting. You know, after this many years, we're finally a part of a network, part of another brand, and uh, it's really cool to be uh, so closely associated with Bear Grylls and the adventure that comes along with that. Yeah, a lot of great things to announce today. You know, this we're not stopping anytime soon. This is just another milestone, but thank you so much for the first 1,000 episodes. I'm really looking forward to the next 1,000 episodes because I have every intention to keep bringing this show to you. So, all right, happy adventuring. Share this with somebody, tell somebody about it, and uh, here we go. All right, folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast, alumni of the show, and one of my earliest, biggest adventure inspirations, Alistair Humphreys, probably best known as a uh, first chair violinist. And so it's so great to have you here on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be back. Good to be chatting to you. And I always like to do podcasts with an athletic brewing run wild IPA. Oh, man. That's awesome. You're a big fan, <laughs> big fan of athletic. I'll be sure to share this with our UK team. They'll, they'll be really excited to hear that. I'm glad, Mason, you, you came on uh, drinking a cup of tea in uh, honor of the Englishman, and I got the uh, the beer out in honor of your day job working for this brewing company, which by chance was in my fridge. <laughs> that is hilarious. Mutual uh, respect here, but uh, 
Well, Alistair, thank you so much. You know, we were talking a little bit before, and uh, you've been on the show before, but this is going to be our 1,000th episode, and I couldn't think of a better person to have on than you, because you have been a huge part of my adventure journey. About 10 years ago, my my best friend and I were in college, well, gosh, closer to 15 years now, and we were uh, just talking, you know, what should we do? And we both, we lived in Florida, and I that's where I live now, and he said, let's fly to Alaska, get bicycles, and bike all the way back home. We thought we'd come up with some novel idea. We didn't know anybody had ever even thought about doing this. Well, little did we know there's entire companies dedicated to this stuff, making the equipment and routes and everything else. And, you know, one of the first books we picked up was was about your four-year adventure around the world. And that ended up being more or less our, our training manual and our inspiration for <laughs> pulling off this summer long 5,000 mile bike from Alaska to Florida. And uh, ever since I've been a huge fan of you. So it's great to have you on. Oh, thank you. I've got a, I have a map of the world on the ceiling of my shed here. So I'm just cranking my head back to look at it. That's a, <laughs> that's a long old ride you did, isn't it? What a big, big country you guys live in and so varied and beautiful and perfect for adventure. It was it was really opened my eyes, but I, I will say as someone who's done big adventures and is now in a phase of life where that's not as possible, I find myself, just like you, falling in love with my backyard. So t- tell us a little bit about local, this idea. What what was this idea? Because you, you were well known. I, I, I was joking about being a violinist. I know you... We talked about your busking adventure across Spain last trip, but you are well known for the concept of micro adventures and you, you walk the walk. What was this idea with this book local? What was this all about? Um, well, first of all, I need to say well done for reaching a thousand episodes. That's a serious amount of endurance and persistence and you've built up a great body of work there. So congratulations. That's very impressive. Here's the next thousand. So a quick summary is that I started by thinking that adventure meant huge, like you on your cross-country trips. Like, what can I do that's big and crazy and epic? Because where I live is boring and adventure is far away. That's my thinking. So I got on my bike and I spent four years cycling around the world. And I did big, stupid stuff like that, which was brilliant for quite a few years. And then I started chasing uh, what I, well, not chasing. I decided to start doing micro-adventures, short, simple, local affordable adventures to try and make adventure more accessible for more people in more places more of the time like what can you fit into your weekend or after work and that's done that's been fantastic to see this micro adventure community grow around the world of people doing that and then I now decided to try and take it even a step further which was prompted by me realizing that in in many ways I knew more about well let's say Alaska than I did about some little town five miles down my road which I've never bothered to go and look at because it's really near and therefore sounds kind of boring Um, and I live just outside London in the suburbs and it's pretty boring where I live and I'd rather live in Florida or Alaska in the way that we often wish we lived somewhere else Um, and and yet I don't I live here and I don't know the town five miles away so why don't I accept where I live and go have a look at that town five miles away. So I came up with a project of just buying the small local map of where I live. It covers about 10 miles by 10 miles, so a really small area. And it's made up of small towns and villages and a bit of farm, but nothing very exciting. And I decided to try and spend one year only exploring the small map that I live on. And the map's broken up into one kilometer grid squares on the, on the map. And so to give my project some structure, 
I said every week I'll go to one of these random little grid squares. It's only a kilometer by a kilometer, less than a mile across, tiny. You could run across that in a few minutes if you were, <laughs> if you were quick, tiny area. Why don't I go there and try and see everything, every street, every footpath, every bit of woodland, every plant, every animal, really pay attention and see what I find. And I was a bit worried that this idea might be kind of boring because I want to be heading off to far off places, but, uh, and that a year was way too long, but I quickly realized that actually there was so much to see if everywhere. Once you start to be interested in everything, then everything becomes interesting. And I started to notice nature and little pockets of wildness, stuff that I'd never seen before. And it completely blew my mind how this tiny little map actually started to feel huge and enormous and full of possibility. And, and this is all because the UK is, is laid out in this really specific, very detailed grid system. So you just bought the local version of that, which was, I think, 20 kilometers by 20 kilometers. So about yes. you know 15 by 15 miles, which is, you know, essentially a 15, 20 minute drive in either, you know, in, in, in one direction across. And you spent an entire year doing that. H how many squares did that make up then? Uh, 400 or well, so? so well I went to one grid square per week so that made uh, 52 52 squares that I visited and you know the, the country itself isn't I mean it's just a normal country like anywhere but the mapping system um, is divides it arbitrarily into one kilometer squares I guess based on latitude and longitude I suppose um, and you know America has its own version of these sort of maps every every country is the sort of map you would use to go hiking I guess in uh, in whatever country you happen to be listening to this in, and uh, and it was just a a forced constraint really because my if I'd thought oh I'll go explore the map my tendency would have been to just get on my bike and just cycle everywhere as fast as I could and see everything, and so just forcing myself to be limited to just one kilometer a week just made me look at things really differently and just slow down and pay attention. Before doing this experience, if someone was to ask you, what's the most exciting thing in this in this grid, 20 by 20 kilometer grid? What what would you have said? You have to go see this. Yeah. So before I started, I would have been, you know, I, I've lived here quite a lot, uh, 14, 15 years, and I've I've done a lot of micro adventures around here. So I would guess that I know the paths and the trails and the woods and the hills and the streams better than most people do and i've spent a lot of time biking and hiking and camping all over it so i think i would have pointed out to people some of the you know it's it's england it's not why it's not wild landscapes but there's some beautiful little bits of woodland or there's some really small but kind of beautiful little hills and maybe i'd have thought that would be the interest but what i hadn't really considered was stuff like the old industrial warehouses victorian era that had fallen down and crumbled down and now were being um, rewilded trees and bushes and wildlife starting to come back and that sort of sense of wildness appearing in places on the edges of towns I started to get really interested in the the edge between a, a town and a countryside that kind of rubbishy ugly no man's land that you normally just zoom past in your car I found it really interesting to go look behind the back of the factories and find some uh, foxes or rabbits or trees growing and that sort of thing so I became I thought I was going to be interested in sort of finding hiking trails and camping spots, but actually I got much more intrigued by the, um, by the nature along the way.
And actually, just I just remembered now for, for for US listeners that the I think the nearest version to the map that I was using, if you guys, you have a one to twenty four thousand topo seven point five minute maps. Okay, so that that's the uh, that's the uh, closest equivalent from my googling of comparing our maps to yours. Interesting. Yeah. So so the the, the phrase you use that middle ground. I heard you use the word scuzzy a lot. You know that that kind of <laughs> disrepair where graffiti is often found. Um, yeah. Maybe some interesting broken characters. Bottles. Broken bottles. All right. So for someone who's seen so much of the world, uh, were you at all intimidated by this challenge or kind of thinking ahead of time, like, you know, how, you know, this is a cool idea, but how great is the actual experience going to be? Yeah, I was, I was whatever the opposite of it intimidated is. I was underwhelmed and thinking yeah this kind of sounds interesting maybe for half an hour but is this kind of actually a bit boring and pathetic so that was my worry when I started so I, I bought the map of where I lived and it came through the post I opened it up and I thought right I'll go look I'll go explore somewhere and I decided to choose just somewhere random somewhere boring and go have a look at it but very much give myself permission to quit like if this idea sucks then I'll quit and just go ride my bike next week like normal so I I wasn't expecting much but in the same way I guess that your first podcast isn't particularly interesting 50 to 100 but once you accumulate a thousand that becomes a, a body of work which actually is far more interesting than the sum of its parts so too for me by going out 52 weeks in a year rain sunshine whatever I noticed a lot more than just the individual parts so for example I noticed spring come summer autumn winter seeing the seasons changing how the weather changed how nature changes along with that the uh, the daylight hours changing so I started to become much more tuned into the nature of this place that I live and yeah I don't I didn't really like where I live and so doing this really helped me appreciate it more and just accept where I live and realize that there's interesting stuff right here on my doorstep and maybe I don't need to be wishing that I lived in Florida or Alaska and just accept and embrace right here like most people have to do you just have to get on with where you live and with what constraints your life have and try and squeeze micro adventures around the weekends and squeeze your nature spotting into the scuzzy graffiti bit down the back behind behind the supermarket and see what interesting stuff you can find there. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. The iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing. The interior is built with robust materials and integrity, and the capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Durability has been tested to the extreme. Cargo capacity means you have room for all your gear. All this meaning to drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. And there's also powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system to keep you connected. And also the innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And the entire Defender family is ready for a wide range of adventures. They have the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. So push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at Land Rover USA. 
shopify.com forward slash defender. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell anything online at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million dollars in revenue stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're a podcaster trying to sell merch or selling autographed sports memorabilia, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one commerce platform to their personal POS system, Shopify has got you covered. Now, I do use Shopify with my day job. That's our website, and that's our platform. It's so handy. It makes it easy for us on the back end. It makes it easy for you as a shopper and as a customer to sell more. And they can help you all the way from those early, early days until you're a real business, making real money. And that's what I love about them. No matter how big you want to grow, they can grow with you and help you take control your business to get it to that next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ASP, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash ASP to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ASP. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Take us through something that you learned about a place you thought you knew that, but you you didn't realize was there. And I'll, I'll set up with an example. A few weeks ago, I went camping with some friends on a river here, and we're a hundred miles upstream from the ocean. And someone told us you could find crabs, like ocean dwelling crabs, in this river. And there was a crab trap that I saw in the water, and I'm like, "There's no way. We're so far from the ocean. <laughs> it's you know, there, it, there's gators and otters and there's every kind of freshwater swampy animal here. There's no way there's also ocean-dwelling crabs. And I, I pick up this trap, and it's filled with massive blue crabs. And I, I just, of course, the locals knew because they, they fish for them. I had no idea, and I've grown up here my whole life. And I feel like every time I go out, there's this new thing that I learn that just blows my mind that I had no idea was there. And I think to myself, where where have I been my whole life? Where Where's my head <laughs> yes. been? Why have I been watching TV or doing any of these things that take away from learning about this place? Did you have an experience like that? I, I had a general overall experience of that, very much um, of just being amazed at how little I'd paid attention to anything all my life. I did a biology degree at university, so I should kind of I did too. know a bit about stuff. But I just knew absolutely nothing. And it was only once I started to really question what are, what are these little plants? That, hey, that's a pretty little flower that I've literally never noticed before. And then suddenly you'd see it every single week everywhere. Um, I was really interested as well. I mean, a great thing about exploring in Britain is just the history you can find everywhere. So I found this, this little church. And there's um, in Britain, I learned there are hundreds and hundreds of what are called lost villages, um, which is quite poignant doing this just after COVID because back in back in the day, a few hundred years ago in Britain, there was the plague, the Great Death that uh, it was like a huge virus thing that wiped out almost half the country and all these villages were empty. And I found this beautiful little church in this tiny little valley that's now is empty and abandoned. And that church has been abandoned for over 500 years. So I actually thought about that Columbus sailing over to America. And ever since that, all the stuff that's happened in the world since then, this tiny little church has just sat in the bottom of this valley empty and it looks kind of like it did back then so i i loved that 
coldness and the quietness that you can find in England. It, England wears its age very lightly. And that was, that was quite a nice part of it, given that a lot of where I live is now busy roads and railway lines and stuff racing around and roaring around. So it's nice to find pockets of wildness and stillness. And actually, what I've really started came to discover was that when you've got a huge motorway or a huge freeway going rum, 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 I really came to love the tiny little bits of woodland or land you get just at the strip side of those they're completely forgotten ignored spaces and so no one ever goes into them and I kind of felt quite adventurous and exploring when I was in these little bits of woodland just as cars just hammering by 20 meters away didn't even know that I was there just sitting peacefully in a oak forest it was lovely Wow. that You know, it's it's interesting is those little strips of woods might not seem worth, you know, exploring or, or visiting, but it's kind of like going to that church. That church isn't very big, but there's a big difference in the experience of standing, you know, 20, 30 yards outside of the church and being inside looking up. That's a totally different experience. And the one being inside is, is the one you're after. It's, it, it's, it's worth going and doing. And those little bits of woods are like that. It's worth going in and standing in and experiencing it just like you would a cathedral or anything else. And I'm sure you're one of the only people doing it. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And yet still there are plastic bottles everywhere. It's just incredible how the litter is everywhere. So that, that side of things amazed me as well, the sort of destruction of our landscape. But uh, before, I get, before we get on to the depressing bit, you, in terms of making that difference, of the difference between just making the effort to actually go there, I chose these grid squares by random. I used like a random number generator on the internet because if I just looked at a map and chose where to go, then every week I would choose the interesting looking wood or the nice looking hill, the sort of stuff that I always gravitate to. But I didn't want those biases to influence me. So choosing randomly just forced me to go to different places. And often before I get there, I'd look on the map and I'd think, oh man, this looks kind of boring today. Just few few roads and a bit of farmland this looks pretty boring but every week I would find something that surprised me and interested me and that made me come back home and start googling all this random stuff that I discovered and learned about Mm. so so what what was the template what would you try to do you'd pick a random square kilometer and what would you go do while you were there and also and I've got a follow-up question after that but what would you do while you were there what was the goal So the goal was to see absolutely everything that was in that square, which I knew was uh, fairly ridiculously ambitious, but I I like the sound of that. So I I wanted to see every, say, footpath or walk around the edge of every field, if it was farmland or if it was in a town, I'd cycle down every single street. And I try to make myself slow down. My tendency in life is to rush, rush, rush. And so I would often, I would walk most weeks. Occasionally, if it was a town, I'd cycle just to kind of speed up getting around all the different streets. But generally, I'd cycle to the place, then lock up my bike and walk around to try and see everything. And in order to make myself slow down and resist my tendency to rush, I tried to take really nice photos every week. So even if, even of say, a, a burned out car or some graffiti um, or a fallen down tree, whatever it was, I'd try and take nice photos. So that forced me to slow down. And then I wanted to, tr- everything I saw, I'd try and take notes about so that when I came home, I could Google them and start to learn a bit more about it. It became not really 
at the start, I think I thought it was going to be an adventure experience, like let's find a wood and go camping. But it actually turned more into a, a, a do-it-yourself university course of just teaching myself all about all these things that I'd never even noticed before in my life. Um, I used an app called Seek uh, by iNaturalist. Yes, which, I have that app. Okay, fantastic. You aim it at a plant or an insect or something, and it tells you the name of it. And suddenly, once you know the name of something, it becomes more interesting. And you start to notice it in more places. And then you start to care about it a bit, and you learn about it. And, uh, and from that, you start to get a, a richer connection with the, the landscape. And then the other app that I found it invaluable was called Merlin. And this one listens to bird song and then tells you the name of the bird you're listening to. And so suddenly then that was opening up a new world for me of natural stuff that um, yeah, I've always kind of liked birdsong, but never really paid any attention to it. And suddenly I was noticing it. And then I was learning, wow, this tiny little bird, it's like as small as my little finger. And it flew here from Africa for, um, for the summer. Isn't that incredible? So I started to, um, the more you learn, the more you notice, the more you care, the more you notice, the more you learn, the more you care. This feedback loop of interest grew and grew. It, it, it's like falling in love. You know, you, 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 <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I'm learning in my own backyard is is I'm falling in love with it, and when I'm spending time away from my backyard through work or just family obligations or whatever that takes me away, I feel like I'm missing out. Um, even if it is traveling to places that are beautiful and you know quote more epic, I want to get back home and I want to learn more. I want to learn in a deeper way. Did Did you find yourself feeling that way with? the other obligations in life throughout this year? Um, I, uh, I certainly found myself feeling more connected and interested, but I still always like to go to different places. You know, my, my favorite thing is just to go somewhere I've never been before. But what I tried to... So when I go to some other country, I am so interested in everything. I love the way the supermarkets, the grocery stores are laid out differently. I love the way the, the traffic lights on the roads beep in a different sound in different countries. Like normal stuff I just find so interesting in other countries. And at home, there's a tendency just to be like, nah, this is normal. This is how it always is. So what I tried to do exploring this map was to put my adventure head on, my traveler's head on, and to be curious and interested as I would be in some other place. So for example, you exploring your local map, you're telling me about this, um, the, the crab traps and all the crabs. I'm just like, wow, that sounds so amazing. For you, that's just your local little story. It's normal for you. Uh, but for you listening to me talking about a church that's 900 years old, I mean, that's crazy for, uh, by American terms. So just trying to have that far off fascination and apply it to your local backyard, I think was a really good mindset to try and generate and if you do that you can kind of get the joys and the rewards and the education that we all get from traveling that we love and you can kind of get that every day if you just choose to pay attention when you explore one square kilometer at a time uh and you're trying to do you know see every corner of it and see the whole thing uh in in each time you went out you, you must have attracted attention by locals What's an interesting interaction you had with locals? What did you What did you learn about local people, and and, and did you alarm anybody? <laughs> so one of the things that that struck me the most, which led to one of my growing concerns for the wildlife and nature in Britain, is how few people I saw. Of course, when I was in the towns wandering around, just 
lots of people and in towns everyone just ignores each other that's normal but in the countryside I saw almost nobody and this really surprised me the only people I'd see was occasional dog walkers just near the roads and I'd sort of say hello to them so I was surprised how ghostly and empty our countryside felt and it enforced me one of the reasons why I'd begun this project which was to try to encourage more people to explore the nature near to where they live and it seemed surprising to me that there were so few people out there so so no I didn't really have many astonishing encounters I was just a bit sad that I was the only guy walking around the woods really hmm that's interesting I I, I figured you know it, it, all right there's this guy on his bike he's gone down I've seen him five times a day you know what what is going on <laughs> is what I would think suspicious. would be happening very yeah. suspicious and all right so with one square kilometer you also I would assume you run into the issue of not having that much variety or that much access to the land to explore. What what kind of issues did you run into there? Like if you say it's a one square kilometer out in a field, did, did you, how do you get to it? If it's private mm. land, like how do, how do you explore it? Yeah, very, very much so. And this is a, the land access issue became one of my strong things I was really passionate about. Um, and it's you'll be interested how, from an American perspective. It's it's a very different approach again in America. And you have to bear in mind that in Britain, people aren't walking around with gun with guns. So that sort of changes things a bit in terms of access and trespass. But I became really astonished and alarmed at how little land we have access to roam around legally in Britain. And if you compare that to say Scandinavia, which has a a principle of alemans retten, which means every man's right, every person's right to roam responsibly on the land. So in Scandinavia, people are taught that they have the right to roam around the land. Of course they do, it's their land, but they also have a responsibility to care for it and protect it. And I think that is fantastic. In Britain, we've gone for the opposite approach of let's keep everybody off the land because if you let them on the land, they'll just cause problems and leave litter behind. So so there's very little land that is legally allowed um, to be roamed on in Britain. Um, however, the reality, of course, is that if you walk around some fields and you don't cause any damage and nobody sees you, then, hey, what's the problem? And I've been doing this for years in terms of micro adventures, just wild camping in the countryside. Nobody ever sees you. I don't cause any problems. And if anyone did see me, I'd just be polite and it would all kind of probably be fine unless the farmer got a bit angry. And if he got angry, all he can do is say, get off my land. And that's the end of the story. Uh, but I became quite passionate about this restricted access in Britain. And there's a growing campaign here called the Right to Rome, which is, which is asking for greater access to the countryside with of course the responsibilities to look after it and personally i feel one of the problems with us destroying the natural world is because people aren't out in nature very much they don't notice what's being lost and they don't really care what's being lost and therefore it just gets worse and worse and emptier and emptier and it is really sad so i adopted a policy of just going wherever I wanted to go and if anyone caught me I would just apologize in my best polite British accent and see what happened and I only ended I only had one big argument with a farmer uh, over the course of the year how did that go well it actually was really interesting because he was like what are you doing don't go here blah, 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 blah. and I started talking to him about what I was doing and I was saying that it, um 
how important it is for people to have access to the land because nature's so good for your mental health and all this sort of stuff. And he started telling me that when he'd been at co- he'd gone to college in London and he hated the city because all he wanted to do to be was back out in nature. So he very much understood this desire to be out in nature and how beneficial that is. But he really objected to anyone being on his land, which is quite a there's a, a, a sort of interesting contrast in opinions there. But it, it it worked out amicably enough. And it it is, though, however, a reminder also that I was I'm kind of privileged to be able to be doing this stuff because I'm a, a six foot tall, middle class white man. You know, the worst that was going to happen from that farmer guy is he might shout at me a bit, but I'm sort of quite polite and chatty and charming oh very sorry old chap and we could have muddle on okay things could have been different if i was uh, a woman or black and the issues then of the how open is our countryside to everyone um it's definitely not an equal playing field yet and you're talking about privately owned land correct (laughs) yeah i can hear your american disbelief at this so yeah (laughs) i mean it is that's baffling i mean i would never here in america uh feel comfortable traveling on someone's private land knowing i could be shot and i will say i've had a gun pulled on me many times in fact just this year i had to abandon a paddle trip because of weather and i just parked on a beach on a, a lake and the landowner came out and pulled a gun on me I had to get back out on in the weather and and make it across the lake, and it's just like that happens. So let let me tell you a little bit about what would happen, say in Scandinavia, let's say Norway or Sweden or Finland. So in those sort of countries, there's generally an, a rule that you don't you don't go within say 100 meters of someone's private property, and that's like their home. Yeah, you, yeah, your home, your garden. You definitely can't go walking through somebody's garden. You can't. You can't put up your tent where you, with that sort of overlooks someone's house in a kind of annoying way. Um, you can't go walking through farm yards, like through the buildings of farms. You certainly can't go walking through the middle of a field of corn and trample it down. You can't light a, fu- a fire in a field of corn. Those sort of things, which you know, I think any sensible person would say, yeah, of course, that's all great stuff. Beyond that, though, you have a right to roam across land that you want to so for example you could definitely come down that lake and get off on the beach and then you could um walk from there back to the road through the through the farmland and the woods and stuff Uh, absolutely you're allowed to do that even if it is his privately owned land so the 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 utopia of that i guess is that you have the right to roam in the land because of course you know, a thousand, well, 250 years ago in America, anyone could walk wherever they wanted. Of course they could. And it was just, it was a free land to be cared for. And then gradually that's been uh, hemmed in. So in, in Scandinavia, you can roam with responsibility. And it's the responsibility part that I think is so important because by opening up the countryside to a broad range of people, then more people care about it and look after it. So now moving on to Britain, in Scotland, you're pretty much allowed to do that. But in England and Wales, you're not allowed to. You're only allowed to go on the public footpaths. Um, And we're lucky in Britain. We have 140,000 miles of public footpaths, some of them thousands of years old, that you can go walking around. And and most of my um, wanderings around were on these public footpaths most of the time. And for most things, that's perfectly enough. But there's sometimes when I want to go have a look in that wood and no one's in that wood. So I'm just going to 
go and walk around it. And I'm not going to cause any problem at all, but I'm going to go have a walk. And that is when I become a trespasser. And if the farmer caught me there, he could get cross at me and tell me off. And then he can tell me to get off his land. And I would then have to leave his land by the simplest, straightest route. And that's the end of it. It's a civil matter. Not You know, you can't go to prison for that you just, unless you start fighting the farmer. You just have to get off the land. And, and no, no fear of being shot. Uh, gee, I mean, absolutely no fear of being shot. Yeah, <laughs> so I mean, crazy. Yeah, yeah that's I mean, wonderful. Let, let, yeah, let, I think let's not let's not make our conversation veer towards uh, America or guns because that's a, a subject which I'm not qualified to talk about. <laughs> let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. I am a proud user of Manscaped. They are the revolutionary hair trimmer that a lot of men use. And our friends over at Menscape have been working night and day to bring you below-the-waist grooming experience like none other with their brand new Lawn Mower 5.0 Ultra. It's the next generation of trimmer with interchangeable blade heads for whatever shave your mind can imagine. Is it the biggest technological advancement of all time? I think it is. And that's why you need to get it and upgrade your grooming game to the Ultra Sphere this year by going to manscaped.com for 20% off, plus free shipping with the code ADVENTURE at checkout. You can take it on the go. This puppy comes with a travel case, travel lock feature to avoid accidentally powering on or off. It's actually really handy. One of my headlamps just died the other night because it turned on by itself in my backpack. And speaking of lights, it has dual LED spotlights just like your regular lawnmower. So like I said, get 20% off plush free shipping with the code ADVENTURE at manscaped.com. It's very high tech for very low places. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. The iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing. The interior is built with robust materials and integrity, and the capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Durability has been tested to the extreme. Cargo capacity means you have room for all your gear. All this meaning to drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. And there's also powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system to keep you connected. And also the innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And the entire Defender family is ready for a wide range of adventures. They have the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. So push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast has helped me plan for my tax bill so I don't dread April every year balancing my budget for this show, and helping me financially plan for my next adventure. You can listen to NerdWallet Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Wow, that's that's refreshing. That's exciting. That's wonderful. Now, and I will say, you know, it's a uh, there is a decent amount of public land here, even for a state like mine that's that's 
so many people. Nearly 30% of this land that I live in in Florida is, is protected and publicly accessible. So, you know, one third already with the goal of, of protecting nearly half of it in the next few decades. That is pretty exciting. Yeah, that's incredible. And, and the scale of that land compared to little old England is extraordinary for me to consider. When I, lo- I love America. I love traveling in America. And I just love the emptiness of it. It's just astonishing to me. So, um, yeah, I guess if there'd be lots of different ways to explore your local area, depending on different countries' rules and uh, gun-wielding farmers, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um so refreshing. I, and I, I'm looking up this concept now, freedom to roam. I love this. And I'm also looking up that in Finland, you might have said this already, picking berries is part of everyone's right. Being able to pick yeah, berries foraging. off the land. Foraging. Wow. Yeah, and fishing, fishing, foraging. Yeah, all sorts of things. Even uh, Belarus, which is a pretty horrible country that's very good friends with um, Vladimir Putin. He's Putin, basically Putin's only friend. They have this lovely... Uh, access to Rome and uh, enjoy the rivers and the landscape as well. No kidding. Hey, uh, you know, it's a, it's always a mixed bag, you know. I, I think you should do an episode on Alemansretten, the right to Rome in different countries. I think it'd be really interesting. Mm, that is a great idea, the right to Rome. And so through this experience, uh, you know, what, what would you say was one of the biggest misconceptions you held prior to doing it and then completing it what would you say? What would you say changed the most about something you you perceived ahead of time? Okay, so I, I have a, I can give a positive answer and a negative answer <laughs> here. The positive side is that I don't really like where I live. It's suburban. It's boring. But it sounds very positive. It, no, this is the yeah, this is <laughs> the, just me being British and positive. So, but. Actually, when I actually paid attention to it for a year, I realized there were so many places that I'd never seen before. There was woods and footpaths and places to run and ride my bike. And the springtime flowers are beautiful and the fall leaves. So I realized there was way more wildness and nature near to where I live on the edge of a big city than I'd realized. And that was really a really positive thing for going forward. I think the negative side of what I really learned about was that if you look around, a lot of the a lot of the land on my map is a like green English farmland. And I grew up in green English farmland. I like green English farmland. I've, but looking at it, I've always thought, oh, that's nice. It's the countryside. But I actually came to realize just how little nature there is on farmland. And the way that we farm is just an industrial process really that happens outdoors and it strips the land of nature. It pollutes the rivers. It causes insane emissions. So the connection between the food we eat, the way we use our land and the loss of nature that I think shocked me and alarmed me more than anything. And that was a completely new world of discovery for me this year. So like this, this, this blank, beautiful pasture, uh, hill on the hillsides is not an ideal landscape, although picturesque, not ideal. Yeah, it's a green desert, really. And I learned a really interesting phrase. Well, I, sorry, I think it's interesting. It's a bit of a geeky phrase called shifting baseline syndrome. <laughs> this might be the first discussion of shifting baseline syndrome in your thousand episodes. And you might you might not have any listeners by episode 1001, but I shall continue. <laughs> shifting Shifting baseline syndrome is you think about 
where you grew up as a kid and you think, oh, yeah, green fields and nature. That's how the world should be. It was great then and it's got a bit worse now and that's sad. But it, but then if you asked your father and your grandfather, they would remember very different baselines of what nature was like for them. So each generation, we remember and we romanticize a slightly worse version of the natural world. And we accept that as what we're trying to get back to. So each generation gets worse and worse and worse. And in the case of Britain, um, I think of oh, these green fields that you see on pretty TV shows about England. That's lovely. But actually, it's a green desert. And 100, 200, 300 years ago, there was so much more woodland woodland and nature and, and much more variety of species growing. So I realized that what I'd grown up of thinking was lovely natural nature isn't at all. And, uh, and that really surprised me. We have talked about that idea what it, you know, falling in love with what you know as the reality, but that being so much less than your ancestors and, and one those before you. And I heard this quote the other day by the conservationist Aldo Leopold. Can I read it real quick? It talks sure. about this. And I, and I want to know if you went through this. One of the penalties of an ecological education or just, you know, basically learning more about the environment is that one lives in alone, alone in a world of wounds. What it's talking about is a lot of the damage inflicted on land is, is quite invisible to just your average person. But as you learn more about the land and as you learn more about history, you realize it's just a world of wounds from litter to to the hillsides being cleared of all trees to um, the soil being depleted. The thing you thought was beautiful and wonderful or maybe just life ends up being these just very evident scars as you learn more and more about land. It, it sounds like you found yourself kind of unearthing more and more layers of that as you went on with this project. Yeah, that is, that's an exact summary of my experience. And I think when I started to do the project, I, I mean, about 10 years ago or so, I wrote this book called Micro Adventures, which was a kind of cheerful, happy book of, hey, Here's how you can go hiking and biking and camping and swimming. And it was like, yeah, this is great. Have some adventures. And I think I assumed I was going to write another book like that. But actually, what I've ended up writing is about the, the loss of nature, um, but also the hope of, hey, it's, it's not easy, but it's relatively simple to fix quite a lot of this. And I think one, one thing that really struck me is that I've traveled across lots of continents. I've traveled across oceans and deserts and I've been up in the Arctic near the North Pole, wonderful places like the sort of stuff you see on David Attenborough shows. But although I loved those trips, I don't think I really bonded with the nature, the natural world in those kind of places. I think, oh yeah, this the, the Arctic, this is a great place for a, a selfie of me and my tent. What a great trip. But I didn't really get any deeper than that. And when you see say on David Attenborough, the, the poor old polar bear dying on the tiny little ice cap. I look at it and I go, oh, that's really sad. Someone should sort out for those polar bears. Someone should fix this. The government or someone should so save these polar bears. And then I don't think any more about it. But going out to see the wood two miles away from my house that's being chopped down for a shopping centre or something it has got me so much more connected and involved and you know if i'm not going to sort out my backyard then who is but i think then but if each of us start to sort out our backyard that actually then leads to sorting out the world so i've i've got much more interested in the the whole bigger environmental picture through getting concerned for my small little neighborhood mm. 
Do you think this is a a sense of maturing as an adventurer to kind of take your view from worldwide to your own backyard and trying to solve that? Do you feel like that's your way of maturing or that's a natural process as someone who loves adventure? Yeah, I suspect it's a combination of the the actual project of deeply paying attention to what's happening where I live combined with the fact that yeah I'm just getting old now and uh, and the, <laughs> the um, and you know when when you get old you start to care about birds singing and stuff that when I was 25 I'd have thought was really boring so yeah there's definitely an element of that but I also think my approach my attitude to adventure has evolved as well from from when I first started and I wanted to row across oceans and cross deserts and I was just really after that huge epic difficult crazy wild stuff and it was very much a personal challenge for myself that I loved doing but it was really a sort of kind of pretty selfish thing at heart um, hopefully it might encourage some others but essentially I was doing it for myself and I think as I've got older my approach towards adventure has been that it's great to do that stuff and I wouldn't deter anyone from uh, cycling from Alaska to Florida for a glorious life-changing adventure but as I get older, I'm more interested in adventure plus purpose. How can the things you do also contribute to something a bit bigger than yourself? And I think that adds some some depth to your ex- personal experience as well as creating a more useful output. Do you think you would feel this way or think this way had you not done your big adventures before? No, I think that having had the privilege to go and do these great huge trips that certainly helped me when I started to encourage people to do micro adventures it helped me to take the the feelings and the experiences and the lessons I'd learned from the big stuff and try and distill that into a smaller more micro level Um, so I think that certainly helped with my perspective on adventure and then in terms of just exploring my local neighborhood I think Weirdly, I think one of the reasons I found this mundane experience so interesting was because it was so directly contrasting to the epic, crazy, shiny stuff. And yet it didn't feel worse than that stuff. Very, very different, but not worse. And I gave up one of the reasons I started to do this was I I gave up flying for adventure. Um a bunch of years ago and and I really regretted that for a while because I love flying off to cool places I love that and but exploring this local map made me feel that I don't feel like I'm missing out now by not getting on a plane I'm getting very different experiences but I don't feel I'm missing out so I think that contrast to the shiny days was quite interesting when you left each square kilometer did you feel like there was more to learn of course there's more to learn from you know, get a biologist there or a botanist or, you know, any, a geologist or something, you know, there's deeper to understanding, but did you feel, okay, I've gone and what I did, but did you feel like you were leaving almost prematurely? Like, oh man, there's, there's more I could actually see. No, no. so the very much the former is true. I was often interested to think how, what an experience it would be to bring all sorts of different people to this one square and say, hey, tell me what you see and what you are interested in here. But no, from my level, I would generally try and stay in the square until I really felt that I'd exhausted it 
or occasionally just till I was really hungry and wanted to go home for lunch. <laughs> but um, that shifts a man's priorities. But yeah, generally, I would think I've really done this square justice. And uh, and I don't need to return to this square for a while because there are 400 on my map and I've only been to 52 so far. Wow. that It's really, really fascinating story. And I know you got to go in just a few minutes. You know, I, I know this is always the pressure of being an adventurer is, is you know, being asked what's next. <laughs> Having your perspective change and having your priorities shift, what would you say is, if you can look down the road in your adventure life, where where do you see it going from here? Um, well, I think a weird thing when adventure becomes your job as well as your hobby and your identity, there's then a bit of a, a conflict of things there. But so parking the side of my the job for now like how the heck am I going to earn any money from any of this uh, <laughs> the way that I see myself going that interests me the most now are the issues on our land and they're very combined of the access to our land which you know the lack of access to our land and the fact that I didn't see anybody out in these woods and that there's so much nearby nature that no one's paying attention to and therefore no one cares when it gets chopped down so trying to get more people accessing to the land uh, which links on to my second issue of nature loss, which is heartbreaking and tragic. And that leads on to my third issue of the way we use our land. I mean, th th when you start to learn the statistics of how much space is taken up for different kinds of farming around the country and around the world, it's just absolutely insane. And I see all of these things as being quite linked. So land use leading to, uh, so changing land use can lead to, cleaning up rivers and reducing emissions and freeing up space for rewilding, planting more trees and things. Um, also connected to getting more people access to the land. They're the things that really excite me. Having your perspective shift to, to those issues more than just the, you know, getting people to have more adventures. Those are really heavy topics that have done a lot of damage to our planet. What about this year or what about, what you've learned about those those issues and topics since doing this project have given you the most hope for its future and for the future of our planet or species and adventure itself so um the hope for me comes from this is so interesting because i now feel nervous about what i'm about to say which is really interesting because <laughs> okay. we talked about we talked about guns and stuff but the what i'm about to say is that the notion of whether we should eat a cheeseburger for lunch and it's amazing how what a sort of controversial sort of issue this leads to but what really struck me is the cheeseburger for lunch issue and you know i learned this year that almost half of the entire of habitable land on the planet is used for agriculture and at first i was like wow that's a lot but i guess we all need to eat so you know that's and that the way we farm that's an area of land equivalent to all of the americas so north america and south america plus china plus Southeast Asia, all of that is covered in farm, which just blew my mind. And, and that sort of ma manifests itself on my local map as well. But I thought, oh, well, we've all got to eat. But then I started to think about or to learn you know, that 80% of that land is farmed for beef and dairy production, you know, growing crops to feed the animals. So theoretically, if we all gave up our cheeseburgers for lunch, that could free up an area of land the size of the USA plus China plus Australia, plus Europe.
combine. So in theory, we can feed the world while also reducing farmland by 75%. And what gives me hope for that is that if I give up my cheeseburger that I love, suddenly there's so much space to plant forests, to clean up rivers, and to completely and utterly bring back nature. So it's not easy, of course, but it's relatively simple. And I like things in life. I like adventures that are uh, simple, but not easy. So that's what gives me hope, I think. It's interesting you take this turn because it's your career. It, it, it's difficult, I'm sure, to balance what you're becoming interested in and what your audience is, frankly, interested in. I'm sure that's a yeah. hard line to, to walk. Yeah, and I think what's going to really interest me is now that, you know, I started this project thinking, oh, I'm really interested in the adventure in this map. And I came out of it thinking, geez, I want to change the way we use our landscape and I want to get trees planted and clean up rivers. And I'll be really interested to see whether the audience that I've built up over the years are interested in coming along with me on that journey as well. Or if they're like, "Uh, no, thanks, dude, we want you for adventure. We'll go follow the other 999 guys on Mason's podcast instead. And I don't know the answer to that, but I guess what I've got to do is just follow what excites me and what feels important to me. That's what I've always tried to do in adventures. And uh, that's, I guess, where I am now. So um, we'll see. We'll see who comes along for the ride. You didn't go into this thinking that. You really learned that through the experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that's really interesting is that if you, anyone goes out and just really pays attention to their neighborhood, you will find issues there that really spark passion in yourself and they might be nothing to do with the ones that interest me but you will definitely close to where you live find some issue that you can get passionate about to really bring about some positive change to your community to your neighborhood and therefore step by step to the planet so yeah adventure plus purpose that's what we need that's awesome well alistair thank you so much thank you very much and here's to the next thousand first of all Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.